But just a moment, imagine yourself back in ancient Greece uh, during the time of Alexander the Great's great uh, uh, victories, at least as it is seen in Stephen Pressfield's The Virtue of War, the book he wrote. And we find the warriors sitting around talking. They've won. Everything they wanted to accomplish, they accomplished and more. They worked tirelessly, sacrificed, risked, dreamed, despaired, and then rallied. They mourned and then celebrated. They grew in brotherhood and hope, and now they are victors. And it's terrible. They are bored and depressed. We have lost our enemy, says Craterus. The object of our exertions is gone, and we have nothing to set in its place. Success, says Telamon, is the weightiest burden of all. We are victors now. All of our dreams have come true. That, too, is death, Hephaestion agrees, perhaps the sternest of all. They got what they wanted. And now they wanted something more and something better. But there isn't anything. They have it all. It makes you kind of feel sorry for them. There is a name for this. It's called the hedronic treadmill. And it works like this. You really, really, really want something. Maybe something at the store. Maybe you want to raise. Maybe you want a project done at the house or even a relationship. And finally... You get it, or it's done, or it's no longer new. So we grow a little bit bored, and your eye starts passing on to the next thing that you really, really, really want, the next thing on the list. The original goal of your deepest desire is met, and there's a tendency to grow bored with what you want or wanted. And so in order to be happy, our eye goes on to the next thing. For example... When we were in desperate need of a new organ, I said, okay, we're going to do the organ, but we're going to do it right. We're going to make sure we get the best organ builder. We're going to make it exactly what we need. We're going to make it big and wonderful. And we went for months working on it, if you remember. And I remember as we were going through it, it was becoming a bit of a headache. And I said, this is the last project. No more projects. We are done. We got the organ in. And it just became our organ. And then people started talking about new projects that we could do. And the next thing you know, we're opening a new school. One of the things to do in life to combat this, which also gives us a more stable happiness, is is to develop an attitude of gratefulness. To be constantly grateful is to appreciate what you have. To see it afresh every day, you know, Those of you who know my background know that I have a degree in theater. It wasn't really in acting, but you had to take some acting classes. And one of the things they said to keep the show fresh every day, every time you walked out on the stage, it had to be the first time. You had to see these people for the first time. You had to say it for the first time. And that really helped my spirituality, to see things for the first time every time, to appreciate people the first time every time, to appreciate your objects, your abilities, and your health. As if they are brand new today. Take your telephone. As annoying as they can be, they are amazing pieces of equipment. I just got an upgrade on my telephone and I'm I'm completely in awe of this thing. 
what we carry around in our pockets. When I was a kid, a whole floor of a warehouse, the computer, the whole, the size of a whole floor of that warehouse could not accomplish what this thing accomplishes that I carry around in my pocket. And we take it for granted that I can see my dog Sebastian doing something really, really cute, take a picture of him, send it to a hundred of my favorite friends. It goes up to a satellite in the sky. That satellite will find my friends no matter what they are or what they are doing, unless they happen to be in the kitchen of the rectory, which gets no reception whatsoever, <laughs> and beams it down to them almost instantaneously. Amazing. And when it doesn't work, people tend to get frustrated or angry instead of being in awe that most of the time it does work. And if Apple doesn't come up with something exciting and new every year, the tendency is to become bored with this object in our pocket. After all, you know, it's just a phone. Sometimes it's like that with God. Paul tells us in his letter to the Hebrews today that they have something better than all the people had experienced in the past. That's when the presence of God came either, either as a blazing fire or gloomy darkness or storm and trumpet blasts, he tells us today, or a voice so terrible that people begged that it would stop. God was something unapproachable, something not to be touched. But approximately 2,000 years ago, we had an upgrade. And Paul tells us now we approach the city of we approach the city of God. We join countless angels in festal in festal garments, the spirits of the just made perfect, and Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, and his blood, which speaks more eloquently than that of Abel. That's what we are participating in today. By virtue of your baptism, when you are anointed priest, prophet, and king, you are ministers of the new covenant. When you come to mass and pray and absorb and participate, offer yourselves, you are part of the very kingdom of God. We join the angels and the saints, and we mean that quite literally. We make constant referrals of this throughout the liturgy. Listen for it. We call on those who have gone before us, marked with the sign of faith. We join the angels and the saints, and we mean that. It's not just poetry when we're preparing to sing the Sanctus. Holy, holy, holy Lord, God of power and might, that the priest says just before. And so with angels and archangels, with thrones and dominions, and with all the uh, hosts and powers of heaven, we sing the hymn of your glory as without end. Holy, holy, holy Lord, God of power and might. And we firmly believe that the angels and the saints are here with us. So say it like you mean it with them. Get out of the habit and say it for the first time. Like when you say, I love you to somebody. Never grow bored with saying, I love you. Never let saying, I love you, grow common. I love you. I love you. And think about what's going to happen. Jesus is going to be present and you will receive him. He's not in some distant location, specific maybe to Rome, so that maybe one day, if we're all fortunate, we could go over to Rome and see the Eucharist on the altar from a distance. And it's not just temporary, like, well, maybe we could go there that one day that he's there and see him. 
He's not just in the tabernacle so that when we come to St. Sebastian on Sunday for nine o'clock mass, we know that he's present and we can see him from a distance. He's present to you, Jesus Christ, body and blood, soul and divinity, the same way he was present here on earth 2,000 years ago, and he will come to you completely and vulnerably, either on your tongue or in your hand, and be brought inside of you. So much does God want to be near you and love you. In past ages, God was not to be seen. He was unapproachable. Man was lost in sin. But today we heard his voice and when the gospel was proclaimed. And we will receive his presence personally in the Eucharist. Something most of humanity has never been able to do, of which even the angels are jealous. One way to avoid allowing this experience to become too common is to be thankful. When we are thankful, we become more fully aware of what we have and how special the Eucharist is. Why were you chosen to have faith? Why us? Out of all of Akron, why were we chosen to have faith? Why does God love you so much that he comes to you personally? Why with all our faults and all our failings and all of our sins, God chooses you anyway to be his tabernacle in the world? Why are you luckier than the guy at the end of the ramp of the highway? Why are you given the chance for forgiveness of your sins in confession? Why are you considered part of the chosen race, the royal priesthood? The people set apart for his own. But you are. And don't grow accustomed to it to the point where it's no longer valued. You have it all. And some of the ways that we can help ourselves in this attitude of being grateful and keeping it fresh every time is, first of all, to receive well. I've been speaking with some of our extraordinary ministers of Holy Communion they say, by and large, our parish receives communion very well, the bowing while the person in front of you is receiving. And if you don't have full use of your arms, if you have a cast, if you have a cane, if you're holding a child, if you're holding a book, if you got a purse, you really should receive on the tongue. And if you're receiving on the tongue and every once in a while you feel a hit against your lip or your, or your tooth, that means your mouth isn't big enough or your tongue isn't far enough out. Uh-huh. And if you're receiving in the hand, to make sure that you receive. And then don't walk away. You take a step to the side and receive. We have to keep an eye out. Make sure someone isn't just walking back to their pew with the Blessed Sacrament. Receive and go back. Also, on September 11th, 12th, and 13th, we are going to have our annual 40 hours, our Eucharistic devotions. The Blessed Sacrament, Jesus, will be out on our altar all day and all night for those three days, Sunday, Monday, and Tuesday. And someone must be present to be with him during that time. So I ask you to consider adopting in an hour, whether it be at night or in the afternoon, the hardest time is around from after school to dinner time, if you would consider that. We have sign-up sheets on the altar rail over here. If you'd like to sign up, we'd greatly appreciate it. And we find different ways to be grateful and show God that we take him seriously.